Good morning. Hi. I know. And so I'm like, okay, I'm here in the afternoon. (laughs) How are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I had to like ground myself today. (laughs) So I like have um, my cleaning lady helping to um, pack. So I'm like, I feel guilty if I'm not helping. And then I'm like, oh, I need to lay down. This is I've been timing. thinking about your energy level because you're still post-surgery. Yeah. Yeah. And like 26 days post-surgery. So I need to like, I feel like I'm having like one of those moments where you feel so great because you felt so bad, but then your body's like, but no, I'm going to need you to sit down and like chill during this recovery. So that's what I'm trying to listen to. You know, I, and your last podcast, your caller, I think it was Sheena. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she had a really powerful statement about, you know, everyone says, listen to your body, but do you really hear it? Yeah. And I thought it really resonated with me because especially people like you and I that are really active doers that, that are always on the move. Yeah. It's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 honestly I was terrified. I'm like, I don't think I know how to do that, you know. Um, so you know, I have to have pep pep talks with myself <laughs> as well as my husband um, on how I, <laughs> I need to just sit down. <laughs> so, but no, that was a powerful statement by Sheena. I I agree. Totally. Well, I do think rest is a huge part of this recovery, and as mm-hmm. unnatural as that is. You can find something like Schitt's Creek and giggle a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Me too. So true. So I am speaking with the lovely Kelly. <laughs> um, I'm really, really excited to to have this conversation with you because, uh, again, like it's, it's something so... Um, it feels like this is a unique thing that we're going through, but then when you start to talk to other women about their situations, like you just find these kindred spirits. And, and I really feel like we had another moment, just like I said about Sheena, um, you know, it was just this instant connection, this instant understanding. Um, someone emailed me today about how they feel heard, they feel seen, they feel validated. I'm like, that is so important in this world, especially for women. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm really, really like getting a lot of feedback and, and, and some is helpful, right? Like even just me changing how I discuss and, and maybe not call things lady parts all the time, right? Not everyone who has a uterus identifies as a woman. I mean, or, you know what I mean? So it's like, you have to acknowledge the whole, you know, community. And, and so I'm really appreciating a lot of the, the feedback that I'm getting. So I want you to introduce yourself a bit here um, so that, you know, everyone knows who you are and what your story is. And then we'll just chat. Well, I want to say thank you, Marquia, for having me and for creating this space. I felt like my journey with my... Um, reproductive health was a bit isolating. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm just grateful that you are willing to have these hard conversations. And I I feel very comfortable with you with your openness, and how transparent you are about what you've been through. So I'm just very grateful that you're willing to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I live in California in a small town um, in a very educated area. Um, I absolutely feel grateful to have health insurance and have extremely knowledgeable, lovely doctors. Um, I had an experience in my teens that um, I, I don't feel comfortable with male physicians in my GYN appointments. Okay. And so I, when I speak of my doctors in, in my journey, um, all of my four doctors have been female. And okay. I, I think that that's important just to note male and female doctors are, of course, equally as competent. Um, but my own personal preference was to stick with females for this part of my journey. Okay. Um, and um, I'm a wife and I have a career and I have two amazing children. And I was really interested in your podcast because I am so grateful for my uterus to be the you know, first home for my children. And at the yeah. same time, I really did think it was trying to kill me for about 10 years. Wow. Um, and I did also find out that, you know, not everybody had such extreme pain as I had. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I felt um, like it was not easily talked about. And anyway, so yeah, I'm not sure what else I should say about myself. I, I've lived a lot of places, Thanks. but I've been in this area for about 20 years. Um, and, and this is now the longest I've been in a spot since I left home. Okay. Um, yeah. And I get this, like, where do we start? How do we yeah. move forward? And, and in all honesty, so I'm, I'm kind of like also going back through your email, which was so, so much detail that it really helped me understand, um, the, like other people's process right like for me I knew I had fibroids I honestly had been looking at them on my own on my own ultrasound and like you know really strange things that we tend to do just avoiding going to the doctor but but I um I, I your story being that you know you were so young as well when you started to kind of experience you know these things and then family history and stuff like that I just kind of want to start from the beginning you know just like you did with with your email whatever you're okay. comfortable with mm -hmm. yeah I'm happy to I it's just there's, there's so much that I don't want <laughs> to yeah yeah get off track so so I um I my challenges really started I didn't have I was not a kid who missed school for periods or cramps one uh -huh. of my sisters did. She had, you know, really extreme cramping fairly young, like junior high and high school. I didn't uh -huh. have that. My my um, cycles were pretty much treatable with Advil, rest, and a heating pad. And I was uh -huh. really fortunate that I didn't have any really significant health issues until my first C-section. Um, uh -huh. With the birth of my first child, I had a really horrific labor that lasted over... 24 oh actually closer to 48 hours it was like i Ooh. started with contractions long ugly labor story which is a whole nother podcast but sure i ended up needing an an unscheduled c-section um and i was so depleted by the time the doctor decided to do the c-section they had tried to suction my daughter out several times it kept popping off um it wasn't successful. And then my daughter's heart rate started to drop. And at that point they were like, okay, C-section right now. Yeah. So, so I had this like urgent that I have to be careful. It wasn't called an emergency C-section. It was called an unscheduled C-section. 
Oh, okay. I, I'm not sure the difference, but that was like a very specific thing that people kept saying. So, okay, just to be accurate. So I had an unscheduled C-section after an extremely long labor, um, intense, very intense labor. Um, and, and I didn't properly heal. Um, I, two days postpartum, no, no, two days post discharge from the hospital, which was like, I don't know, six or eight days postpartum, that whole time was such a blur. Um, Mm -hmm. My C-section wound opened. It was like a bad horror movie where like stuff just started shooting out with a high pressure. Um, Oh my gosh. Like doubled over in my bathroom with a towel over my abdomen. I was bleeding through towels. Um, And my husband took me, my husband contacted my doctor and she wanted me to meet at her office. This was really early in the morning, like, like 5.36 a.m., it was dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was crazy. Um, and so we packed up the baby in the car seat who was, you know, less than 10 days old. And oh my um, gosh. I don't know why my husband and the doctor, when he called her emergency line, she was part of a small local health clinic that mm-hmm. only had two physicians and a couple of midwives. And I don't know why they didn't have me go to the ER, but she and my husband made the decision to go to her office where um, I had this open wound and yeah. like football size, like huge. I mean, a baby had just come out of me, you know, right. Like right. huge gaping, gigantic wound and all, you know, it was interesting because I thought I'd never had a baby before. So I thought that I was all swollen and huge because I just had a baby, but it turns right. out it was because I was completely infected and that the pressure of all this stuff shooting out of me had been building in there and mm-hmm. escaped through the the wound that hadn't healed. But I'll mm-hmm. make a very ugly, complicated story a lot shorter by saying that I had an open wound for over um, six to eight months that they decided to have it heal from the inside out. Right, second intention. Yeah. Barbaric as someone who was breastfeeding. Um, oh my gosh, sure. And uh, my husband is um, a physician, so mm-hmm. he was allowed to... Um, clean and pack and treat my wounds at home. So I never did go to the hospital at any time for that, Mm -hmm. um, which I now regret because I've had nothing but complications since that C-section. But um, so that happened and I, I survived it. It was a really rough time. Uh, My family was not able to physically be here to help, which was very hard for me. Um, uh-huh. and then I had a second child with a planned C-section, um, in 2008. And when I look at my emails to give you my, my history, um, uh-huh. I reviewed my medical history. I have emails back to 2008 de- detailing really high levels of pain during my monthly cycle. Um, and and that was, um, so I know that I was reporting it to my primary care physician all the way back to 2008, but it yeah. wasn't actually until, um, 2016. Um, I should, I should note, I'm, I'm close friends with my primary care physician. Uh, we mm-hmm. see each other socially. I trust her completely. And mm-hmm. we tried, um, many things. She was tried, tried different medications to control my monthly cycle pain. She was mm-hmm. very clear that I needed to lose um, some weight, exercise more, rest more, more aggressively, um, take more aggressive medication for my monthly cycle and eat a plant-based diet. She was clear that my diet was impacting my cycle. 
well what was your diet at the time well I and has that changed actually to be quite frank it really hasn't I yeah I don't drink coffee I'm I drink alcohol maybe two times a year um my husband and I know fried food or fast food everything we mm-hmm. eat is either homemade uh, it's a hugely heavily fresh fruit and vegetable diet because we live in this phenomenal area yeah that's literally called the fruit basket of the world um, oh, wow. And my husband, you know, is an incredible doctor, but he would have been an even better farmer. He grows a lot of our own fruits wow. and vegetables. We have a property like 15 minutes from the city center where we are in the country and have a bunch of our own fruit trees and our own raised beds. Um, oh, I love that. We, we have our own heirloom tomatoes every year. We eat tomatoes, nice. you know, all the way until, you know, almost Thanksgiving. It's wow. so I, I have a very healthy diet. My portions were probably too big to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've always struggled with portion control. Um, but I should say I did wait. Same. <laughs> I love good food and we're food. We do. Like, and we, we bonded over that too. Right, like, I'm like, Oh, we are foodies. <laughs> we're foodies. Like uh, We travel for food. We enjoy cooking yes. food. We eat out in a restaurant yeah. and say, I can make that slightly better at home. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we love to experiment in the kitchen. My husband made jambalaya last weekend. It's, I mean, nice. like it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I so yes, too too big of portions, but completely healthy food. I mean, everything we eat mm-hmm. is organic, grass fed, no antibiotics, no hormones. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I wouldn't say that it's an unhealthy diet, um, but yeah, I should cut back on my portions. So okay, but I did do Weight Watchers after my son was born in two thousand and eight, and I lost the weight. Um, okay, and, and so I felt like it wasn't necessarily a matter of. Um, diet and exercise as much as it was Mm -hmm. a matter of, I felt awful a minimum of two weeks a month. I mean, my ovulations were painful for, you know, two, three, four days. My periods were, I had this God awful um, cycle where I was premenstrual for, you know, anywhere from my, between being premenstrual and having my period, which was like never ending seven to 10 days. It was about Mm -hmm. two weeks a month of cramping, bleeding, um, excessive. I mean, let, let me be clear. Not, yeah. not, um, my symptoms were ugly. I mean, I think I said this in my email too. Like yeah. I had cramps that I would wake up several times a night. Sometimes I would vomit. I would, I would crawl to the bathroom to mm. vomit. Um, I was, um, bleeding like a bad horror movie all the way through all sorts of layers and layers and layers of things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. I was unable to walk due to contractions from pain. I, I, I had no energy. I gained weight. I felt emotional. And I kept being told that this was all within normal. And then. But who says? Well, you know, that's that's what terrifies me is like, how do we normalize a painful half of a month? Right. You know? Oh, it was awful. I mean, Marquia, I, I, it was so bad. The last two years before I had my hysterectomy, I would um, bleed through everything, like absolutely Mm -hmm. everything. Like I, 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 I remember one day and this, this is actually the day that I got my second opinion for my second OBGYN. I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up. That's okay. Yeah. So in 2016, I got referred from my primary care physician who was absolutely lovely to, Mm -hmm. um, another absolutely lovely doctor who was my first OBGYN specifically for pain for my monthly cycle. 
And mm-hmm. I met with her at least annually and emailed her throughout the year. And I was telling her that my symptoms are getting more and more severe. And she basically said I needed to medicate more, but that I she didn't think that I was ready for any sort of intervention, anything too um, surgical or any sort of um, extreme intervention. And I was kind of horrified because I was telling her I need, Uh I'm like ready, take it out. I'm begging for any solution. And then at one point, my primary care physician read me a medical note that I didn't have access to in my file. And it said that we had reviewed the, all the options and I wasn't ready for anything invasive. And I was like, are you kidding? I've been begging for any solution. Like, no freaking way. I felt so blind. And I'm living with this thing that's invasive. And it hurts. Like this thing that happens to me for two weeks out of four. Like, I don't get. Well, and that's infuriating to me. And like you, I was, I'm sure I was anemic. I I don't know medically if I ever had that done or not, but I mean, Mm-hmm. So in starting in 2016, what really motivated me to get the second opinion was I bled through my tampon pad, uh, like tampon, nighttime pad, underwear and pants mm-hmm. down to my socks and shoes. And so then I spent mm-hmm. the next like four years terrified of getting my period at work at my kids' schools. I, vol- I, I volunteer mm-hmm. on one day a week at both my kids' schools for several hours at each school. You know, and I was terrified I was going to be like in the grocery store or like driving Mm -hmm. carpool and like bleeding through my clothes. Like everything was Mm -hmm. so, and it wasn't a little bit of blood. I mean, it was like, it it was like I was stabbed and I had these waves of pain and these waves of blood that was literally gushing out of me. And I'm not a blood kind of girl. So this was scary too. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah, Cause we talked about that too. I'm like, you know, Oh, I love surgery. I love cutting things and I'm, you know, blood and guts. I can do that. But it's different when it comes from your body and you don't really know if you're going to survive it. Right. Like it's like you, you see shows and you see movies and and you see, you know, gunshot wounds and stab wounds. And like, that's probably even less than what I'm dealing with, you know, the first seven days, (laughs) but yeah, so it is scary. It is scary. Yeah. So mm. then in it wasn't until my doctor read me that note from the OBGYN um uh-huh. in that I really felt like okay, it's time to get a third opinion. Like so I was with uh-huh. the first OBGYN for like 4 years, 2016 through 2020. And then I had I I finally was like, you know what? This is not working. Like, I can't live with this. At this point, I was bleeding through my clothes probably quarterly. It wasn't just, it wasn't every month, but it was definitely a lot more often in the last two years than it had been previously. Have you ever asked, because I wondered about this, and and I didn't ask this question for myself, but I will when I go back for another post op. Um, like, I wonder if like one ovary, since they kind of alternate, right? Like if one ovary makes your cycle worse, like, because for me, it wasn't every month either. Not really until kind of the end, you know, where it was just like, okay, this is here. Here we go. You know, but really, really interestingly for me, um, I, my, my surgery was scheduled for February in January. In December, I was getting my first blood transfusion. I had my second one 
the week of my surgery because that's how bad it was. And they were like, we're not cutting you until you get, you know, some blood <laughs> and get, you know, get these things called red blood cells and things. Um, so for me, though, I had the lightest period of my life in January. And I'm like, what is happening? Now am I going menopausal? <laughs> you know, like, why was that the lightest? It was strange. But man, I tell you, February was no joke. And I even called my doctor and I was like, because, okay, so for vets, for veterinarians, um, if a dog, say, is in heat, we don't spay them. Um, because all everything is enlarged, right? The uterus itself, all of the blood vessels are engorged. We don't really do that for cats. I'll spay a cat in heat. Um, it's very different procedure. So I was concerned about that. And I'm like, there's no way that OBGYN surgeons um, have to wait for a cycle to be over, right? But I just had to ask. And because and, um, usually I have dogs like af- like eight weeks after their heat cycle ends is when I'm comfortable doing surgery again. And you can't do that with a person that goes <laughs> in every 28 days. I'm like, there's no way these people are even one making money, right? Because you're like constantly rescheduling. <laughs> um, but that was a question for me too. It was like, Hey, is it okay if I'm still on my cycle by the time? And I wasn't, but um, I was like two days out though, you know? So for me, it wasn't every month until kind of the end, but that January was weird. January was really weird. Um, so I wonder about that. So I'm, I'm going to follow up with that with you yeah. <laughs> when I ask my, my surgeon, um, in a couple of weeks, but, but yeah, so I get, I get that, like the fear of, of, I mean, it's not even just embarrassment. It's just in- uncomfortable. Right. right. Well, and I was just in so much pain at all the time and yeah. I didn't have energy and I, was cranky yeah. and I'm not a cranky person. I'm yes. a pretty funny person. <laughs> like I don't like yeah. being cranky. <laughs> no one does, right? It's like something's happening when you can't be the person you want to be. And that's really significant. I don't think people really get it. Like this is not just the inconvenience of having to go to the bathroom every hour, you know, or more. Right. right? You know, it's not just that. It literally changes everything about your life totally like no one should live well and that's what eventually so so then I got my third opinion which was my second OBGYN opinion last summer it was um 7 21 20 was my first appointment with my second OBGYN and I I gotta tell you my life changed I mean that woman was she listened to me she made me feel so heard and so valid and so So not like it was in my head because until then I always felt like, is it just me? Is it, is this a, and then, you know, I remembered, um, I remembered recently somebody that came over and borrowed a tampon from my master bathroom was like, Hey girl, why do you have some underwear in your drawer? And I was like, um, is it not normal to have your period underwear in the bathroom? Cause you bleed through your clothes so much. And she was, you know, and I realized like, apparently no, apparently that's not normal. <laughs> like, wow. Like, like, yes, I have an underwear drawer with my pretty underwear in where my clothes are, but I yeah, also have yeah. my period underwear in a drawer in the bathroom where my tampons and pads are. And that is fascinating to me because it, it's we all do some kind of organization to make this life easier. I mean, carrying underwear right. is not unheard of. You but know? nobody else um, besides me has their period underwear in the bathroom and that was like things like that where I was like yeah we don't really talk about that with anybody but it's the ugly truth no yeah 
it is. You know, we, yeah. we just have yeah. to cope. My my bathroom actually happens to be connected to my like walk-in closet. So you walk through my closet to get to my bathroom and his bathroom is on the other side of the apartment. But like I have some organizational things that I'm still like, oh, now that I'm moving yeah. too, right? So now I'm like realizing like where my stashes are. And I promise you there are tampons and pads in every purse right. that I own. You know, uh, like who I have like that? pencil cases in both of our glove boxes of both of our cars filled with tampons yes. and pads. My husband was like, Why do I yeah. need this? And I'm like, Because you're married and you have a daughter. Like you just this has yeah. to be in your exactly. car at all times. Like this is more yeah. important than the roadside assistance kit. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> like we'll be okay. We can call AAA, but this is a different emergency. Totally. <laughs> oh, I'm like, you need to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, we all have our little tricks to get through this. So, Uh so, so on my, so I met the second OBGYN and I felt like my world opened up. Like I just felt so validated and she was the first doctor I'd ever met with who had her own story of bleeding through her clothes. And actually you'll appreciate this because you do surgeries too. She bled through her clothes during a surgery and then completed the surgery before she took care of herself. And I was like, Oh my God, this woman is a hero. Like I was so blown away by that. Like, I mean, she was, and she was also the first time anyone told me I was a candidate for a hysterectomy. First time. And she brought it up. She brought it up. So yeah. Wow. And I ugly cried in the car, like snot down the face, like super ugly cried. Like oh. I ugly cried after I left that appointment. I sat in my car and ugly cried. I called my best friend. I texted my sisters. I was so, yeah. I, it was so amazing to know that there was, she was going to work with me to find a solution. Like she was yeah. willing to go that the distance with me and that she's my impression was that I didn't have enough documentation in my chart for insurance to cover the surgery. And that, that may or may not be accurate, but she basically said I was like um, a six to eight out of 10 on when she could do the surgery and that I needed to just keep in touch wow. with her and, and email uh-huh. her every time I had symptoms throughout the month. Okay. So, yeah, so she definitely was, was, attempting to make sure everything was documented in case you ran into a problem because that's another issue is insurance you know and what they will cover I can't even tell you like I am a brown girl but I am turning fire red right now because I am so upset about how insurance handles things And and I can't imagine being uninsured so you started this conversation with you know, you have insurance, you live in an educated town, you know, all of these things that we're lucky to have, right? Like I literally have Brigham and Women's and Beth Israel up the street and, and, you know, Mass General 10 minutes away. Like I have access and also career where, you know, hey, I had to pay for most of my CAT scan, you know, because um, I hadn't reached my deductible. And I, Making insurance choices is one thing I want to focus on, too. And, like, how... Because I just really didn't do the doctor all the time. I was not a sickly person. Because, of course, this is normal, what I'm dealing with. So that's, you know, that's just normal. But I just wasn't very sickly. So, you know, maybe I didn't choose my deductible wisely. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, just all of these educational moments that pops up 
when you're going through it. And by then, usually, as far as, far as insurance is concerned, it's right. too late. Well, and right? I, <laughs> it's not I have to acknowledge in. that I, I'm clearly in a position of privilege. I'm employed. I'm educated. Mm-hmm. I'm married to mm-hmm. someone yep. with, with great insurance. I have access to, to well-trained, mm-hmm. competent doctors. Like, I, I'm mm-hmm. very, very fortunate. And that is privilege right there. The fact that yeah, I can see yeah. doctors, that I can get a second opinion, that I can see a second OBGYN four years later when I feel like uh-huh. I need another opinion because I'm not getting better. Most people don't have yeah. that ability in our country. And, right. and so I, I want to acknowledge, I recognize and don't take that for granted. And I don't know yeah. how to help someone else with that. Like, 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 like right. I help people in my career do you know access other resources but when it comes to the medical piece that is a really hard bridge to gap yeah I I definitely need to because I've been kind of reaching out to like you know MDs and PhDs who focus on women's reproductive health um, lawyers you know who focus on women's rights and and advocacy Um, but also now I got to start thinking about insurance Mm -hmm. You know, and like, how do we have that discussion? So I, I appreciate you bringing that up um, and kind of making that also like a part of your statement, because, yeah, we are privileged, you know, and we, we do need to acknowledge that. But also then realize how do we use that um, to help someone? Well, else, and how right? to advocate for yourself, because I have to I have to say, yeah. I am in a position of privilege. I mean, we, we know that just from my story and I suffered, yeah. I would say significantly for a decade because I didn't understand how to advocate for myself. And I didn't understand that this doesn't have to be the way that it is. My second doctor, you you said this earlier, like I couldn't be my best self. My second doctor looked at me and said, you can't live this way and work and be who you need to be. And for me, that includes being a Mm -hmm. wife, mother, sister, daughter, friend, all of Mm -hmm. those things. Right. I couldn't. Uh-huh. She was the first one who acknowledged you can't be miserable and bleeding and in pain over two weeks a month and still function at the level that you need to function at. And what really shot everything over right. the edge for me is on seven six. I'm sorry, seven twenty one twenty was my first appointment with my OBGYN. I just pulled up the email I sent you, and then yeah. nine sixteen twenty. I emailed the second OBGYN and I told her, I. I had this really terrifying morning where I got up at, you know, 545, showered, got dressed, went went into the laundry area, was moving clothes from the washer to the dryer when I doubled over in pain and bled through my jumbo tampon, night pad, underwear and jeans all the way down to my socks and shoes. I can't even tell you how many pairs of underwear I've thrown away from my period. I mean, and, and she set me up with a virtual appointment and she was like, okay, it's time to schedule the surgery. And I was stunned because I'd spent years Uh trying to get a solution. And even though I was terrified at the thought of surgery, because I don't react well to anesthesia, and I was not even sure I Mm -hmm. really believe that there might finally be a solution for for my health. I was so excited to have the possibility of a solution. And a month later, October of 2020, I had my hysterectomy. And it wasn't until four days after my surgery that I got an email that had my diagnosis and it turns out this is like totally mind blowing. I, my pathology came back and there were no signs of cancer or anything else, but I had Mm -hmm. a, um, 
cyst on my ovary and mature uh, teratoma. A teratoma. Can I, first of all, can I just tell you how I am pretty sure your surgeon was like, oh yeah, (laughs) we we hit the big time. Because a teratoma is extremely rare. Really? In my my field, anyway. (laughs) I I mean, they're rare. And and I've seen one, and I've been a vet for almost 16 years, I think. I graduated in 2006. Um, Right? 2006. But, um, But I saw one, and it wasn't my patient. I was still a student. I think I was on a surgery rotation or a pathology rotation or something like that. And there was this teratoma in the belly of a bulldog who, once that teratoma was removed, that dog lost like eight pounds or something. It was like insanity. I had never seen anything like it. But when you think about the coolest tumor ever, you had it. Because teratomas can be all the things. Like in that one dog, we saw teeth. We saw bone, cartilage, um, obviously muscle. Because I think it originated near a kidney or something. I can't really remember because I was so young as a doctor yeah. back then. I wasn't even a doctor. I was still a student. But you could find hair. I think we found hair in there. So teratomas well, are I don't, wild. I, I don't know what if if my, what mine had on it or in it or whatever. But I will say that we knew about yeah, my yeah. cysts and we knew about the teratoma. I was getting... Yeah. I was getting vaginal ultrasounds and MRIs all the way back to 2016, mm-hmm. several times a year. Wow. At, yeah. I mean, I was, wow. my, uh, I think it was quarterly. Um, and oh my God, I remember one time I thought I was going to wet myself, you know, you have to drink all that water and then be and then not go to the bathroom. Oh my God. It was miserable. Oh, sure. I, mean, I remember like being like <laughs> literally near tears. Like, I don't know that I can make it through this appointment oh. because I have to go to the bathroom so badly. Like it, like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that all was going on for years and years and your pelvic MRIs, ultrasounds. I mean, all of that was, I have those records all the way back to 2016. Um, and was that still not enough to at least nope, do an exploratory? Nobody ever at any time said that I was ready for surgery. Right. Wow. And, that, and, and that's why wow. I felt like I, I, I should have, I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right. I mean, I didn't know, but sure. My level of pain all the way back to 2016, 2008. Um, I mean, I have the, I, I know back in 2008, I was emailing my doctor about my pain during my monthly cycle. And I know in 2016, we were mm-hmm. having regular um, MRIs and ultrasounds on a quarterly, it looks like it, it, for at least a year or two, it was on a quarterly basis. And then I was seeing the wow. specialist, um, the OBGYN in 2016, and then the second one in 2020. Um, so I will say, oh, the last thing, my path report came back from my hysterectomy. Get this was, right. I, I don't know, you probably can pronounce it correctly, and I probably won't, but adenomyosis I think it is yeah adenomyosis so So I had that that as well explain my pain it wasn't until 10 years later yes that I had a diagnosis and it wasn't until after I mean I'd never even heard that word nobody had ever said it to me me, but I had my symptoms with that diagnosis were completely an exact match completely explained all the way back to C-section in 2006 I'm like what 
which they were there they were there that's the you know not to blame anyone but i just wonder like is that is that the goal is it to wait until something gets this particular size before we address it i really want to know you know like what are the thoughts behind how people are managing well, and I these cases why with all the privilege that we have with the insurance with the access to these incredible doctors mm-hmm. and i'm not blaming anyone um why did i have sure. to go through all these years of right. really significant pain and not know what the mm-hmm. diagnosis or treatment or cure was until after the hysterectomy <clears throat> like i i guess i wish that i had mm-hmm. been a little more um, uh, aggressive or firm, or I don't, I don't like the word aggressive, but a little more. But how would you know to even do that? You know, like, this is the problem is that like, literally these things have been normalized, you know, and if they're normalized and someone who is a professional, um, is telling you it's not that bad. I get how a lot of us go, okay. So right. it's, it's the curse, right? It's the, you get back to like these like old wives tales kind of like thought processes and, and it's not okay. Right. So that's what I wanted you know? to focus on with you is I want women to hear yeah. our stories and know that there's a solution and know that mm-hmm. there's doctors that will believe you mm-hmm. and know that there's ways to address this and that you don't have to be at that level of pain for a decade to get the help that you need. Right. And I wish that I had gotten That's my important. second opinion with the OBGYN in 2016 instead of in 2020 or in closer to 2000. And well, I wasn't mm-hmm. having the bleeding through the clothes in 2008, but I still feel like I went years beyond where I should have before I got to my hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that the hysterectomy was the solution for me until I met my second OBGYN, um, technically third, because I'm not counting the one who delivered the kids, but but like, I, I just sure. feel like yeah. I don't want women to go through that length of time that I went through because it feels like right. unnecessary suffering. It could have been different. Yeah, it could have been different. And 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 this is why yeah. we're talking, right? Like we need to share and as much as possible because there are people who know exactly mm-hmm. how they want their life to be. You know, and and that, why aren't we trusted also as women who make decisions to have children or not? Um, And and why do you think we're so fragile that we can't make those decisions at 30, you know, or, or 25? Like, I knew pretty early. I told my mom, I'm like, yeah, enjoy those stepkids and their Mm -hmm. kids because I didn't want them. I knew, you know, and I would have women even say to me, and this is where the ugly part comes in. Oh, you just haven't met the right one yet. Wow. Really? So that changes how I, what I want to do with this womb that is inside of me. Like that's dependent on how I feel about a man or, or a woman. I don't know, you know, whatever it is, but that's not okay. We need to stop I, doing I will that say to each my other. My mom is an incredible advocate for women's health, and she um, was an ER nurse um, b- before Roe v. Wade. And awesome. one of the reasons that she mm. um, talked about why, well, 
I, there's lots of reasons why we vote and why voting is so important. But I will say that what I remember my sure. mom getting into a heated argument with somebody um, when I was a teenager and the person it was regarding voting. And my mom said, I won't vote for someone who makes women go back to back alley abortion. And it really like impact. Like I never wow. forgot that moment. Like she wasn't my, she wow. wasn't loud or rude. She was, she was of course, clear and you firm. Have and to that be, is right? how we were raised to be as yeah. girls, clear and firm. You can be clear and polite and firm yeah. and not back down. And and I'm a huge believer yeah. in our our country. You know, we were, we've had all sorts of problems with our democracy these last years. But I will say that the sliding backwards of women's health care and women's reproductive rights terrifies me like nothing else. Not there's yeah. uh, it is terrifying. Yeah. I I lived I got my master's degree in the Midwest and I lived in in a city where I volunteered for Planned Parenthood um, because I couldn't afford good mm-hmm. medical insurance when I was in grad school. I didn't have it, and I mm-hmm. found a um, mm-hmm. a breast lump. And my my student health center sent me to Barnes Jewish Hospital, and they um they ended up doing removing the breast lump, but they sent me to Planned Parenthood for all of my follow-up care. And to get into Planned Parenthood in St. Louis was uh-huh. a nightmare. You drive through metal gates, you drive past people throwing fruit and eggs at you and cursing you and pictures of, of deformed <gasps> things. I mean, it is, it is like stepping into the dark ages. And I was raised on the West coast. Like that was not how I was like, I was like, yeah, <laughs> like you were like, um, hello. Why don't I have flowers like, and like go I girl? You know, like what? In the Midwest than I did living abroad because I also I lived abroad in, in college for a year. I literally had much mm-hmm. worse cult. I, when I lived abroad, I expected a different culture. When I moved to the to to the St. Louis area from the West Coast, it was like a bucket of cold water. Like I had never yeah. experienced the racial wow. tension. I'd never experienced um, the, the yeah. anti-Semitism. Um, I had experiences there, which are mm. probably not best for this podcast, but I will, I will tell you that trying <laughs> that I ended up not only getting my follow-up care from my breast lump and what, and, and my, my care at Planned Parenthood, but then I started volunteering for them. Because they, of course, made my mm-hmm. health care affordable when I didn't have great insurance. Right. Right. So, right. so but, you want to you know, give in back. In order to help yeah. volunteer at Planned Parenthood, you had to walk with like a riot shield between people in their cars and the front door. Not kidding. And then when you get to what? the front door, it's like an airport where you go through like these sliding glass doors and then you go through a metal detector and then you put your bag through a metal detector. I mean, it was like, I, I like, that's in, right. that's like going to court or something like and I what? Had never I didn't even know that it could be that way it was so mind-blowing to me yeah. and so you know when when we decide as a family what we contribute to annually I will always have Planned Parenthood on my yeah. on my list because they mm-hmm. helped me but most importantly they mm-hmm. help people that don't have any other options so when we talk about access yeah. to care and we talk about privilege and we talk about uh, insurance and being educated and having good insurance, the the things that I feel like we can do day to day that make a big difference are do our part to support yeah. places like Planned Parenthood and also do our part to act to support youth in 
in pursuing education. 100%. And, and that's why I'm really, so there, there's one, um, a black female MD, OBGYN, who I want on this podcast because that's how she lives her life. And she lives it out loud um, on social media and is sharing all of these things. This is not normal. This is normal. This is how you deal with this. This is how you advocate you know, for yourself. And that voice is so important. These voices, our voices, <laughs> they, they need to be heard. We need to give people options. Um, that they may not know. And sometimes those are stifled by culture, by community, by, right. you know, lovers, right? You know, like so many things impact us that really have nothing to do with those things. Like it's our body, it's our, you know, decisions. And we need to like honor that and respect that. And we need to teach other people how you to know, do that as I well just had for a brilliant us, idea. right? Marquia, you should have the author mm. of the Vagina Bible on your show. Oh, stop my God. it! I love she that book. Brilliant. Okay, brilliant, brilliant, and shared so much. I mean, even down to like the uncomfortability of her sharing like doses of drugs, you know? Because I'm like, oh, that could get real messy. <laughs> People might start, you know, <laughs> using their dogs metronidazole or for BB or whatever. She, you know what I she mean? Has, like, but um, she explains she's things amazing. So down to earth. 100%. And not like the down, dark, right. ugly, all you of it. You and her. <gasps> That's that so good. Be, I have that as that an audio book. Quite a powerful <laughs> um, podcast. If you could get her to, to talk with you, because Seriously? right, because ah. that is access to information right there, and that is what people yes. need so that they know what is normal yes. and not normal. Because I, I guess I, I mean, I had doctors telling me what I was going through was normal, but it didn't feel normal to me. It didn't feel like I knew that this wasn't right for me. I knew something was wrong. Right. You know what, what also that brings up for me too, um, is the fact that we're told this by people who look like us, right? Cause that always means a lot. So if I'm, um, who I am, I'm a black female. Um, if I have another black female professional MD tell me that this is normal, I'm likely more, um, open to believing that to be the truth because she looks like me maybe she has a story maybe she doesn't for me um but it, right. it, that's dangerous right because so you chose to see female OBGYNs right and I think a lot of women are that way um but it, it's also really disheartening when the person who looks like you who identifies the same as you um right. is telling you oh, suck it up right. buttercup well <laughs> like what because I know you know other women, Miss, you know, Dr. Lady, right, who have these cute little three to five day periods. So if you see me coming in and it's seven to 15 days, you know, talk to me about that. Like, how do right. I deal well, with this? This is not normal. I kept being right? told, like, well, what as is you normal? get older, your periods are going to be longer. And I'm like, really? Because not everyone's are, you know? Well, and, no, and I'm fortunate. No. I have a twin sister, yeah. so we we can talk about like I I know exactly oh, right. what you know. My sisters, I, yeah. 
Like, you're like you're literally the genetic, like copy of no. Me. We're fraternal, so, but we're you really guys close, identical. and we have a lot of similarities. And fraternal, and it's it's interesting. Sure. We have an older sister, and then my mom. And my mom had a hysterectomy, um, and one of my sisters had an ablation. And I just, I I know, given my my family history, that you know. The, there mm-hmm. are big, big, big problems when we get into our, you know, late thirties and forties right. and, and I'm 46. And so I, and my mom had had her hysterectomy younger than I had mine. Um, and even with that information, my mm-hmm. doctors didn't, didn't, I mean, my, my primary of course, isn't an OBGYN, but my first OBGYN, she never mentioned a hysterectomy to me. She was talking about um, different Uh, like a ablation she at one point had mentioned and yeah Yeah. it's like the salvage but you know to be fair uh, none of the none of the things that she had mentioned would have ever addressed my teratoma they wouldn't have gotten rid of the cramping pain i mean they might have gotten rid of the bleeding but it wouldn't have wouldn't have resolved the cramps you know not the pain Mm -hmm. especially with that adenomyosis because that is the kicker I believe that's what what really pushed me over the mm-hmm. edge. That crawling to the bathroom to vomit, that was that had to be it for me. Because nothing else had bothered me that much. And you know, I'm dealing with the bleeding, I'm dealing with all of that and you know, mood swings and 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 all the drama, but I think that's when that kicked in for me. And that was so 2020. That I think that was like 20 maybe 2018 maybe 2019 where I was like because this is what happened so I wake up I am bent over in pain I can't even I can barely Mm -hmm. get into the shower to get ready for work and my boyfriend at the time now husband was like I'm calling your boss like you are not going to work I'm in the shower vomiting like who does that like like okay so for me it was like I'm going to be brave and I'm going to get to work because I got puppies and hamsters to take care of. Like, really? I had to drive an hour to work. So how was I going to get there? I couldn't even shower without vomiting. It is crazy. crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. We have these expectations of ourselves that are so much higher than what we would expect of anybody else. Like if I had a friend calling me saying, this is really what's going on. I would be like, there's no way you're leaving the house. Let me come get you and take you to urgent care. Right. But when it's me, I'm like, I got it. it. I'll I'll drop the kids off and I'll be sure to get to work by eight Oh five. And crazy it's 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 pure insanity when you really think about it you know and then that's how this um affects our mental health too right because you can't keep all of that up like you said you can't have two weeks out of the month where everything is crazy in your life like everything your body's failing you betraying you however you want to put it and then you still have a whole life you have to live you know, outside of well, that. And for um, me, there was a lot sad. of pain in it, like a you lot know? of, um, especially with, with the weight, because I live in an area where a friend of mine from the Midwest came and visited and she called it land of the skinny people. So I'm, I, I'm not saying I will ever be skinny, like traditionally skinny, that's fine. But, but to have my primary mm-hmm. care physician mm-hmm. in a really gentle, lovely, supportive way, check in with me on my weight at all of my 
annuals and like, okay, you need to lose 10 to 15 pounds. Like it really like cut like a knife. And so I was constantly feeling for Mm -hmm. those 10 years, like, like I didn't have the energy to, to, I mean, I was just trying to function. Like I was like trying to make it, I was in like survival mode, trying to make it through the day. Absolutely. And now you want me to go to like a a bar class? I'm just trying to feed my kids and my job, you know, keep the house going, make, you know, like make my healthy meals for my family every night. Like I, I couldn't even imagine like on top of how emotional and, and how how emotional I felt and how much pain I was in. And everyone kept saying this was within normal. I mean, the first OBGYN for four years, this is within normal. My, my primary care physician, this is within normal. And I'm like, okay, well, there's no, I just didn't have the energy to take on like anything else. And, Uh and we also had, right. And we also had, and where do you find the time? outside family stressors with elderly parents and their health care and their issues and their memory and all that. Right. So like there between kids and elderly parents and, you know, there was just no energy to. And just wanting to have a life for you. Right. Because you're still doing it. Right. Because I still do this. It's like it's about everyone else. Right. Like my life is is a sacrifice for everyone else but what about me you know when do I get to live for me and and that's not selfish by the way you know that's that's part of that right whole new hashtag self-care like you really 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 have to do it and just like Sheena said on my last episode right it's not about manicures and pedicures and massages it's like really and that's a really taking care hard of yourself thing to do, especially when it's we not easy careers it's not you know, easy. Like yeah. It's a really hard balance yeah. when you're having, when you're having the, that high level of pain and you're trying to have a career and you're trying to take care of your family and yourself, then you mm-hmm. do tend to put yourself like at the bottom mm-hmm. of the list. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's. Yeah. Right. And it always comes back to bite you always. There's not one person who could listen to this or talk to us about this that has not gone man, I wish I took better care of myself at that moment or in that time or during my lifetime. You know, like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the one who regrets the way I lived my life. Well, and I will say, and you're not there yet because you're just still in your recovery period, but I will say that I have lost 10 pounds since my surgery, probably more, but I don't weigh myself that often. (laughs) But, but I Mm -hmm. will say that it's, it's so much easier to be a healthier self and get back to your healthier weight it, when yeah. you have the energy and when you're not in pain, when you're not in pain. I mean, it doesn't seem yeah. like that should be such yeah. a hard concept, but it really has been a huge one. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I totally get that. It's like some days, like my husband's been, been working on his weight for like two years, you know, like he is doing like those hit classes and, you know, all of that stuff. And I introduced him to spinning because I thought I wanted to do it. And then he fell in <laughs> love with it. And I was like, uh, no, I can't do that. Like I tried for like one class, seriously. Um, but I just didn't have the energy. When we were in Bali, we walked up these um, like massive stairs. I was out of breath. Well, you know how embarrassing that is? Like it wasn't just the heat. It wasn't just the humidity. I likely was super But well, that's what I'm saying. Like then. you can't be your best life. 
when you don't feel good. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. When you're in that pain. I mean, and honestly, mm-hmm. I truly believe yeah. that pain is cumulative. So, so as you've been through all that pain, all mm. those months for so long, it does, you, your body really does have to mm-hmm. recover from being in that level of pain, you know? Right. So now, now you're talking about the other two weeks of the month. Now it's I'm recovering, good. but I'm supposed to be back takes- to normal. Right. And that's every takes month so much for time. years and years. And, you know, yeah, and I'm not yeah. saying to be a, the, like that I'm ever mm-hmm. going to be a specific size or whatever. I just want to be ha- happy and healthy and strong mm-hmm. and fit. And I need to be a role model yeah. for my kids. I mean, everything I eat, they're yep. watching me. And I am absolutely going to have yes. ice cream when I take them to ice cream, you know? Yeah. It's just a matter. It's, it's a matter of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like portion control. One scoop versus and, two. But it's, it's, a, it's just really important to, yeah. to know that for you to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that when you are not in pain and when you are recovered, you will be back to the person that you're meant to be. I appreciate that. And, and, and that has to be one of the scariest things, too. Like for me, I felt like I had no choice. I had to move forward with surgery I had missed enough days of work months of work right like I had done that I can't keep doing that you know and and be happy but for people who um are on that early verge of what they're experiencing and then being terrified of surgery like they need to know that too you know they need to hear that that recovery is on the way you know it's it's going to be okay um, you know, anesthesia is scary for everyone. You definitely have had some, you know, issues with recovery from anesthesia. I get okay. that. Gotta uh, give it a happens shout out to a lot of my, my patients too, you know, um, absolutely top shelf, like so grateful for him. Yes. So grateful. And, love. and my entire oh, team at the hospital where I had my surgery and recovered, uh, unfortunately, because oh. of COVID, all of the thank you gifts I sent got, got either donated or sent back. So. Oh, sure. <laughs> But, um, but I will say like, sure, I sure. Such incredible yeah. care. The nursing staff was so lovely. My anesthesiologist was so lovely. I mean, I, this, even the surgery mm. scheduler was just, it, you know, yeah. able to answer my questions. Like we are so lucky Everyone. to have these incredible people that give their energy and time to help our surgeries. Cause I yeah. was so anxious. I'd had my, I had had my C-sections, my appendix and my tonsils. So I was yeah. absolutely terrified of terrified of walking yeah you have been there and and being like okay (laughs) knock me out and cut me up like what (laughs) yeah I was like hello I'm here fillet me you know like that's where I was because I hadn't had any major surgery or any surgery really you know so I was like ready and I think also what like figuring out how to walk in confident and and trusting whoever is cutting placing stuff um biopsying like you have to have a team you trust you have to take time to build that too um and and that's another thing we need to figure out how to do and and to piggyback on that um statement too like there are people who look me up um you know maybe on just the website you know our hospital website and stuff like that but in all honesty if i'm doing i'm doing major surgeries on your animals i'm pretty sure people research me and i want to encourage people to research their team you know so that you walk in and you know um who they are and 
and what they're about and what their goals are and and see some of the reviews that's like you know great that, idea. that happen with that's those people real, I, like and, and then make the, your the state board if mm-hmm. they have complaints like i did not do that and absolutely that actually yep should be yeah i didn't either to be honest like honestly my mind was so emergent and also i just felt the confidence of my surgeon like i have that confidence yeah. when i go into surgery oh i got this you know like that's just me ask any of the, the vet techs that work with me in surgery or in anything and i got you know, that vibe from her so i was like oh i'm good that's a great you point. know like people my need husband to do was like oh, due diligence okay. like we do <laughs> due diligence when you yeah. hire like a plumber or a contractor Absolutely. for your house like we should right Oh, or you go totally. to a restaurant well, and you know and they you do Yelp actually have Yelp Hello? reviews on doctors and medical facilities <laughs> right. now. Like, who would have thought? But you know, that's it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I honestly I, I did could, not know we, that. We should consider our health just as vital as you know doing, like you said, due diligence and checking out the medical board and everything. Feels like, and, and God, yeah, Yelp, even Yelp yeah. reviews that that would be a piece of the puzzle. Who knew? Wow. Yeah, and I guess I knew that for, like, facilities, for sure, like hospitals and stuff like that. But individuals, that's really, really fascinating to me. Um, But we need to do it and then do it and take into account Mm -hmm. the reality, right? Because some things are not all real, right? It could be Mm -hmm. all kind of how someone felt about someone so be smart about how you do that's why i don't use Yelp even for um for restaurant reviews because most people are complaining because they were the jerk and not like the restaurant um but you also need to do it like do some kind of actual um great review of a doctor or a bad review and figure out where that came from but look at the board reviews because as vets we also have that you know, like if there was a board right. complaint well, against the board, me, it's, the it's, it's out there. The objective investigator you know, to look so at all sides of the story. That. And that's the difference between a board review and a Yelp review. Yes. Is yeah. the Yelp review could be anybody who's, and a Yelp you review. know, yep. angry or has a, yeah, exactly. That's a great word for it, disgruntled. disgruntled. But the board review is going to be a much yeah. more objective way. Yeah. It's not just a perception. It's an actual investigation. Yeah. Exactly. Is, is, is valid yeah it's valid there are lawyers involved there are investigators like you said involved like all of that um and a lot of things that people think are malpractice really aren't you know they just aren't so you really need to tease that out um so yeah i i agree i think mm-hmm. i encourage people to look me up you know like figure out how people feel about me before you choose me so i should do the same for um, you know, people who are about to cut me. But to be honest, like I had a lot of experience with the hospital where I got my surgery done because I was a vet for them. So, you know, I was, I was my started my career as a um, research veterinarian. So, you know, by, by federal law, you have to have vets on staff um, to do any research with animals, anything, whether it's like basic, like, I mean, my first job, um, there was a really popular mm-hmm. lotion, like a soy lotion <laughs> um, that was produced. Now I'm trying it's to all be good. careful. Um, <laughs> by a major <laughs> company who also now has a vaccine. Just saying. Um, and, uh, but seriously, like I, my job was to take care of 
women are very much like ours, you know, used a lot for cancers and healing with diabetics and things like that. But this was a lotion um, that was was meant to be, you know, um, healing for certain conditions. And so, I mean, you had to have a vet on staff to make sure it was done humanely, to make sure things were done correctly, um, that animals were not suffering. And that's what my job was for literally half my career. I didn't go into private <laughs> practice until seven years after I was out. Um, so to me, that's important to know as well. You know, mm-hmm. things are done for very specific reasons. Um, and, and we just need to know them. You can look well, them on the internet's so easily, amazing. We have the know? ability to have all this research not that far. And I have to be honest, yeah. I, I didn't. I, I didn't look up any of mm-hmm. my doctors. I went based mm-hmm. on my friends' recommendations mm-hmm. and my other doctors' recommendations. Um, and, and so I trusted that yeah, I was that, that means getting the good too. care because that's that's who I was referred to by my doctor. What I now know about the two different OBGYNs that I saw, um, a friend of mine, not not my primary care physician, but another friend of mine who's in medicine locally, she told me that the first one that I saw is like the least invasive person, like her philosophy is less is more. And the second person I saw is like a happy to do surgery on anybody, sure. anytime kind of person. And I, I said to her, well, I wish I'd known that. Like, I wish mm-hmm. I'd known mm-hmm. that that their philosophies in OB were so different from each other. Because had I known that, you know, sooner, I might have gotten my second opinion right. four years sooner, you know. But I, I didn't realize, because I'm sure. naive and not sure. a medical person myself, I didn't realize how different the philosophies can be from the treating physicians which now that I say it out loud feels kind of silly like how naive was I (laughs) but 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 it's but it's reality you know and and you happen to be married to an MD you know so it's not it's not even even that proximity didn't change how you planned your life right like how you planned for your surgery to go it really is about knowing better and then you know doing the research um but I I did say a lot of that to say that my surgery was done at Brigham my surgeon was from Mm Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and they're all connected you know everything's like Harvard affiliated hospital but those are all the doctors that I worked with, like their research animals to study how and what they were going to do to people. Mm-hmm. Like it starts with my patients. Right. So I knew mm-hmm. the head of cardiology and the head of because I had to get an echo as well <laughs> before because I have a murmur. I think it was exacerbated by my anemia, which I also knew was a thing, you know, but also, again, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I heard my heart <laughs> murmur. I got it confirmed by a veterinarian <laughs> who was standing next to me. Like, what is that? Why didn't I automatically go to a cardiologist? I didn't, right? Um, so my path could have been... Um, honestly changed immediately too if I'd gone to the cardiologist and they did blood work and go oh your anemia is what's causing your murmur you know all of these things but I was that comfortable and confident in the training um of the doctors within the Harvard um system the Harvard affiliated hospital system so MGH and Brigham and DFCI and you know all of them I knew them so right. to me, it was easier. So again, that was privilege, right? Like I was privileged to know 
how these doctors are trained and, and what they're doing in their own research, you know, to, to do better by us. Um, and that's a blessing, you, you know, because maybe, and I'm not saying I actively knew, I'm just saying like, I mean, gosh, I haven't been at Brigham or Harvard at in, in like seven right. plus years, but I knew how they were trained. You know, like had the cardiology moved to Texas or something, you know, like all the people I worked with have moved on or they were residents and now they're attending and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But still, like I knew the level of skill um, and the care and and all of that. So I didn't do the research like I'm telling people. Which is, again, like like you and (laughs) I are have access to a level of privilege that most people, I think, don't. You know. Uh, And I think that that is why it's so important that we're talking about, you know, advocating for yourself, getting a second opinion if you feel like something's still not right. Because I think that those are hard things to do. Yeah. But if people don't know that that is possible or that they can do that, then then they're not going to do that. And I just don't want people to live in the in the level of pain that they don't need to live in when there are solutions out there. I just, I just, I'm so excited about all of this because if, if even one woman was like, I'm going to get a second opinion, that's enough, you know, like that someone else's life is not impacted the way ours, you know, where, um, and, and you can get treatment sooner. I like that to me is I completely agree. We're having a, you um, know, a conversation that is, you know, pushing me a little out of my comfort zone. I don't normally talk about any of this because our goal, I think, is sure. to help others yeah. understand, like, as they stumble across your podcast, oh, mm-hmm. this is how it can be. This is what I can do. And I think that that is everything to help other people mm-hmm. out. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, so your background, <laughs> so now let's go back to you. <laughs> like, but your background is, is very much like that, right? Like, social work is, is that yeah, primarily how I you would describe like your career? And I, I find that my job is to connect yeah. people to resources and advocate for mm-hmm. people whose voices aren't being heard. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why this is so special to me because this is what we do, right? Like I advocate for you advocate for kids who really aren't able to speak their truth. I'm doing the same for the rabbit and the guinea pig. You know what I mean? Like they don't have the language um, and you have to be there. And then for, so this yeah. is pretty much your My... work, your life's work, you know, is, is, sharing you know, and, that and is caring true, what's and, different and giving is that a damn I rarely get honestly personal. like that's the part for me where I'm really stepping out of my comfort zone I don't talk about myself mm. I don't often share my own okay. history or my or anything about my myself or my family personally I I try to keep a really clear professional boundary mm-hmm. I mean people know I'm married and have kids but they, like they don't know that a lot of people wouldn't know their names or what they look like or anything you know, I mean, I keep a really clear line there. Sure. Um, but sure. I do feel like in talking to you, it is very personal because people can't learn from my story without me getting personal. Mm-hmm. So, 
but I do think it's very, it's so important mm-hmm. to talk about. And if I had known this, if I had heard your podcast, you know, a few years ago, maybe my journey would have been different. And so I feel like we have this knowledge that we can share, which is a gift for the people coming after us. And isn't that what life is about? Isn't that like all of our role models say, right. you pull up somebody behind yes. you, when you get, <laughs> when you get to a place where yeah. you have something that you can do to help others, then you bring yeah. up people with you, you know? It's literally how I live my life, quite literally how I live my life. You know, I'm always looking to reach back and always looking for, don't tell me you're a female and want to be a vet. Like you're going to spend the whole summer with me. You want to live in my third bedroom or whatever? Like we're going to do it. You know, like that's And can you imagine a world where we had women doing that for each other and people, (laughs) people doing it, like not just women, like what if our society... Uh. Was that Phenomenal. where people helped each other? Yeah. You know? Right? And if there was, oh my gosh. you know, life changing instead of hostility, like there's just so many, there's so many things we can do to help each other. And I feel like mm-hmm. we need to actively make the choice to be those people. Yeah. And I'm grateful, you know, I'm grateful for you um, sharing your story. Um, and, and you're just so <laughs> like-minded, you know, like I, I hear you, <laughs> you know, and, and everyone else who's going to listen to this hears you and they go, okay, so I'm going to go for my second opinion. And that's enough, you know, like for someone to start thinking about how to better care for themselves, especially uh, those of us in a society who are caring for everyone else, like everyone else, what about us? You know, we, we have to do it. And I can't even tell you how many people have said to me, um, you know, if you're not here, you can't do this for us. Right. Like I had a client, um, a couple of days ago that, you know, had to put down a dog that I've loved for years, you know, and I love them. I love them as a couple. I love them as a family. But I was like, if I could sneak away off of my medical leave, I would do a house call, you know, for you. Um, and she said to me, but that's, that's why you are who you are. <laughs> it's because you keep doing the most and you can't keep doing mm-hmm. that. So people to call you out on that, those are people who love you you know, and you need to listen to that. Um, And so I'm hoping that, um, and I see it already, which is very strange. I was not expecting the feedback that I got, but I'm excited about it because someone else feels heard, you know, someone else says, oh, I'm not the only one. And that's, that's it. That's all I wanted. I'm getting so much more, you know, from that. And to know that there are solutions out there. I mean, I had Mm -hmm, so many nights mm -hmm. where I was in tears on my bathroom floor after vomiting being like, how is this ever going to (laughs) end? Like, like Mm. not only how's that night going to end, but how is that solution to feel physically better? Um, because in the in those dark moments, it's hard to know that you're going to be yeah. physically feeling okay, you know. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, I you're like, oh, like this, is this is it. This is the I rest of my life. Like, I like that's how you feel. Not be in pain, <laughs> which is not a great place to be, you know. Mm. So I I want to bring that no. light, that hope to yeah. the you know people how? out there that are struggling with the same issues that we have been. 
And also to let you know that you're going to do great post-surgery, like, but Mm -hmm. make sure you give yourself the rest you need to completely heal because you're going to be like me and want to go back to work at four weeks instead of six weeks. And that might not be enough time, you know? Yeah. I I know now it's not, you know, I'm like, oh, now my muscle layer is healing. I'm like, oh, that's different from skin. My my incision is beautiful. You know, like, love it. You know, I'm like, I'm going to bedazzle it. You got to go somewhere tropical and show that Um, thing off. Whatever I need to do. But let me tell you something like Southeast Asia y'all ain't ready for me this next year <laughs> but but I, you know like it's it's empowering to know that mm-hmm. I am going to get through this you know I've got this far and you know I'm healing well but I do need to take it easy I do need to take it easy oh, and it's you. good to have you someone to talk to about it um <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate all of this. Like, I could talk to you all day. I feel like this is how all of my podcasts episodes well, are going to go. Like, I don't want to get off the phone. Because you're <laughs> so open and approachable um, just... and easy to talk with. And, mm. and you make the hard conversations go smoothly. So it says a lot about you and okay. where how you create this space. So thank you. You are so welcome. Um, I look forward to continuing to share my recovery story and yours as well, because in all honesty, like someone emailed me today and they were like, oh, they don't tell you about a year out and, you know, and like, <laughs> like the hormonal changes. I mean, I was, um, my ovaries were spared, right? So I still have those. So I'm not really dealing with hormonal changes, though I think, not major, I would say. Because I kind of feel every now and then I'm like, oh, what is this? You know, why am I upset all of a sudden? So I'm, I'm kind of dealing with some recovery stuff, but I nowhere near. one I ovary left and everything taken, else gone. You know? My fallopian tubes and cervix and one ovary, the one that had the mm-hmm. um, cyst and whatnot mm-hmm. on it. Um, uh, a few, it, it, All that is this gone. Is, but yeah. um, I will yeah. say that I found myself really emotional and at times weepy. Um, and then I did have some hot flashes and I emailed my doctor and was like, Mm -hmm. this is not good. And so now I'm on a, uh, over the counter medication to help with the hot flashes, (laughs) but I can only stay on it for six months. Um, and so I will keep in touch with you because I, once, once I'm off of that, it hasn't been six months yet, but once I'm off of that, um, I do wonder because my hysterectomy did throw me completely into menopause, um, and so I, as I navigate menopause, I'll keep in touch oh. and let you know what that's like for me. So far, it's just a little more emotional than normal. Um, like, you yeah, know, crying at a TV show, whatnot. <laughs> okay. But, you know. Oh, I cry at TV shows you know all the so time. Funny? I mean, so, so I'm not even I, sure I'm going to be I able to recognize the, Like high pregnancy <laughs> hormones and postpartum hormones. And so. I went through like these huge periods of time where I couldn't read. Oh. We still get the, the newspaper, like an actual newspaper at our house. Cause I love the newspaper. Um, <laughs> I wish you lived in Massachusetts. Right? I need so fun. newspapers so I, for this I, move. I, like like nobody's like, business. The news or read the newspaper <laughs> when I was going through my hormonal shifts after I had my kids. And part of it was, I wanted to believe I'd brought my children into a lovely world. Right. Um, 
but I will say that in the political spectrum these last few years, the news has been harder and harder and harder. Um, And so it's hard to know when I'm, you know, weepy at the news or crying openly or upset at what's going on in the world. It's not necessarily all hormonal um, because we have really hard news. There's ugly things happening. So I I think it's... And all the time. I mean, you really can get bombarded. So part of self-care um, has with to be a lot to turn of that. Off so sometimes. no, I do hear you. I, I will Right. Yeah. Yeah. And not engage and not yeah. No, I totally get that. I will say the only strange moment for me was like one night. <laughs> like me and my husband love watching like lifetime movie channel right because we just we laugh at the ridiculousness of it all right and first of all so the first four days i was like i cannot watch anything funny because it hurts when i laugh and we belly laugh you know so it's like bad um but when we got back on track we weren't even watching anything and i was just like I'm missing a body part. And I had a whole meltdown. And he was like, I don't. And he's so sweet. You know, like, obviously, he's not a jerk. I wouldn't have married him. But, but, you know, like, so empathetic and so sweet. And but he really didn't know what to do because I didn't even know what to do. You know, like, sometimes when I'm emotional, I can go, I just need a moment. I didn't even know what to tell him. I'm just like, a whole uterus is gone. I'm saying I have never grown a baby. I have never, like, nothing. Like, why am I missing this thing that caused me so much drama over my life? But it was just a day, you know? I was just having a day. And I, I wondered, too, like, oh, is that hormonal? Or am I, I just think being, it's part of the whole like, process. a person like, who do, lost a body like, part? I was so ready to get rid of mine. <laughs> and I also was kind of scared to not have it, like. And and so it is, I think, kind of a part of the process is to go through some grief of like, Mm. this part wasn't doing what it was intended to do. It didn't work out the way you you had hoped it would. Mm -hmm. And now it's gone. And now you need that. Maybe maybe that's your goodbye to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Because I haven't had that moment since. But but it's one I will never forget because I couldn't even figure it out. Like I couldn't even figure it out. Yeah, mine was more about I felt like I needed to acknowledge yeah. that I was grateful for my uterus to give me my my babies. So I, I didn't want to just say I hate you, make it go away yeah. forever. But I also felt like I needed to somehow like honor it or goodbye it or acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah. And so I I like literally told my doctor like I put my hand on her Mm -hmm. arm during COVID and was like I am grateful for it I I want it gone but I am great like I was like I'm grateful but she was like (laughs) and she was like okay I got it she's like uh, you know like you had she didn't actually roll her eyes but I could feel like (laughs) internally she may have been like like oh god Kelly you're having your moment but I did like you you heard it like I needed her to know (laughs) I was grateful for it and it was time for it to go yeah (laughs) Oh, first of all, that is so sweet. I mean, honestly, like such a beautiful moment because you had to acknowledge what it did for you, but I also acknowledge what it did to I had you. Such a, you're gonna um, laugh so hard and at live me. with that oh, moment. That's, um, that's wild. I had such a high level of fear about having the surgery. Oh, gosh. Like I just, I like like you. I didn't have a lot of experience with surgery and mm-hmm. anesthesia. I wrote my husband's cell phone number and my twin mm-hmm. sister's cell phone numbers on mm-hmm. my leg. 
with with Sharpie <laughs> before my surgery. Are you kidding and me? Because I thought, <laughs> I thought if they need to breathe them suddenly because they're not allowed in the hospital, <laughs> oh, wait a they minute. shouldn't have to look. Right. Right. The first thing they're going sure to do is look at your leg, not your leg medical chart. Be, make logical sense. <laughs> they, like when they were prepping me, they were like, oh, you didn't. I'm like, I sure did right here. Um, yep. And you know, it's so funny because my husband used to take oh, my kids to that is um, amazing. college football games in the Bay Area with like, you know, 100,000 people or 50,000 people, whatever, thousands of people. I don't know how many. I have no idea how many. Just don't quote me on an accurate number for that. But like yeah. way too many yeah. people for a small child. And I, <laughs> I don't enjoy live football <laughs> or any football. And so I was like not going, but I was terrified my kids would get separated from my husband and that five <laughs> minutes later he would notice. Um because he was also oh. trying to walk with his dad who had dementia. So <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness, this is terrifying for me. So I used to write my my number oh. and my husband's cell phone numbers on my kids' arms with Sharpie <laughs> when he took them to these. And so my husband was like, they're not going to lose you. Like, That's <laughs> amazing. Like, Why are you writing? He's like, he- yeah. He's like, you're not going to get lost. And you're like, going to literally be in the you. hospital. I mean, But it was also in case I woke up really out of it and wanted to talk to them and I couldn't remember their numbers. You know. Right. True. I mean, I don't, I barely know my they husband's gave number. My, like, my and I cell do phone not know not my mother's me. number. My and I'm an only child. And so, so I was like, just in case I need them or anyone needs them, it's yeah. right here. <laughs> Is mm-hmm. it, or is it a level of crazy you didn't expect? Because I'm not. That sure is so good. That is so. <laughs> I, I was, like seriously, like with my... both. But... <laughs> so awesome. I mean, that's the planning. Also, that's the planning of what we do, right? Like, this is what we do. We take care of each other. We take care of our family. We take care of ourselves sometimes. You know, that that was your moment. That was your last self-care moment with the uterus. You were like, I just yeah. need Well, and it's funny because it came out of my fear this is the guy you need of, to call. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, it came out of my, I don't know. This is really yeah. scary for me, and I don't have control yeah. over any of it. But this is the one thing I know is that if I wake up and want to talk to sure. my husband or sister, then I want someone to be able to find their number easily. <laughs> wow. That's phenomenal. <laughs> I just trusted they call the Sorry. number on my chart. I mean, now I'm feeling a little inadequate. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> But it's so good. It's so good. It's just like it's the things that your brain. It was does, definitely you know? like a those moment of panic. Last like, minute okay, moment. I do okay. If I do this, maybe I'll feel a little better walking in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I do think yeah, that yeah. Um, wow, people listening to this will know that if they want to say goodbye to their uterus or they want to thank it or they have a moment of grief that it's gone that those are all within normal reactions. Like those are actually everyone's entitled mm-hmm. to having their reaction and that that's okay. Like whatever works to get you through it. That's all good. <laughs> yes. It is all good. And, it, and it's respected, <laughs> you know, and, and your, even your surgeon was like, Oh, I know what this is, you know, because that's not the first time that someone had a moment, you know? So 
I think that's brilliant. And um, we should make like the weird things that we went through public, you know, like because then uh, again, I won't feel so alone if I also had done well, that, you know, like. Yeah, that's why, why I feel not? like being vulnerable why in this conversation share? is so and, important and... And to say these unusual things so that other people can hear because everyone has their way of, of coping with mm-hmm. it which is going to be slightly different from ours and ours is different from theirs, but that doesn't make mm-hmm. it right or wrong. It just means that we're all part of yeah. this process and how we handle right. it maybe gives someone an idea of something that they can do to be at peace with it. Yeah. Right. So cold. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just to be able to get through it. Um, that's wild. That's wild. This this journey is wild. And I, I really, I can't wait to see what next year looks like for me. You know, is this going to be a year of recovery, just back and forth and, and dealing and whatever? I have tattoo ideas from my scar. Yeah, it doesn't say, look like it's going to be much. Um, but I will share those with you <laughs> in case you want to do that. Um, your husband will get a kick out of my plan for, for what I had done. Because, you know, I was cut from belly button down um, and not a C-section cut just because they wanted to explore. Um, but which I did appreciate. I'm like, yeah, look for any other drama <laughs> in this belly before you close me up. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I think this is such a movement for me, you know, <laughs> like. I don't know. My husband teared up today. He's like, I'm just so proud of you. Because I keep sharing all of these emails. Like, I'm like, this woman moved me to tears, you know, and, and, and I'm so excited to talk to someone else who's been through this. So it's kind of weird to be excited to hear about someone else's trauma. <laughs> but, but it's, it's needed, you know, like, we so have tell to me do your this. tattoo ideas. Um, and I'm excited. <laughs> Weirdly excited. enough. Okay. So <laughs> I'll send you pictures because they'll make more sense. But the one that I landed on, um, it was one that looks like, um, so you have like your scar oh, yeah. down the middle of your belly. Um, and it looks like someone's sewing it back up. So they're like stitches on each side and like a needle with like an eye and thread going through so I posted that in like a zipper um that someone Mm -hmm. had on like the back of their neck for a scar it looked like it was probably spinal surgery um and I posted a couple of them on a couple of vet pages on Facebook and everyone went for the sewing up and they're like you need to choose the most complicated Uh surgical like um suture pattern that we never use you know um and then have like a needle driver and like your favorite um suture material packet next to I'm like this is getting to be a lot, but I'm all about it. That like, sounds I can't exciting. Wait. I cannot wait. So I'll send you pictures. It'll make more <laughs> sense. Yeah, I think it's cool. <laughs> so I'm like, a, uh, bunny I have a stupid bunny tattoo. That's all I got. <laughs> so, oh, it's so stupid. It literally was like the first year I graduated or the first job maybe I had. Maybe it's my first year at Harvard because I think I had just moved to Boston and I was a vet there and I was teaching surgery um with like you know undergrads like pre-vets pre-med some grad students um and I was taking care of so many rabbits at that time that I was like I want a bunny tattoo only 
because my friend from DC decided she wanted to fly out last minute to LA <laughs> to get her tattoo fixed. And I was like, oh, I'll just get one while I'm there. <laughs> so if you ever see it, you'll go, were you sober? I was totally sober. When I got it, it was just like, I just wanted my <laughs> You're like, what's that? So it's ridiculous. And it still scares me in the shower. Oh, <laughs> I so know funny. this that is there. I'm like, what is well, that? Well, I do oh, think that right. people that embrace their scars with tattoos, um, you, you know, you make it but yours. That I mean that right like that's yeah part of the you own it process, it's like you know yeah the, it's a battle part scar of, for part real. Of, it is all <laughs> part of this point. journey you know yeah it is it is mm-hmm. so make it significant I love the zipper idea yeah, I but I do that's like exciting. the other one better so but I'll send it to you <laughs> yeah, um, this. Has okay. been well, I, have I have so really many more things, but we'll just talk on a regular. Like but... <laughs> I said at the beginning, I'm so grateful to you, Marquia, for creating this opportunity and for yeah. being so willing to share and listen and ask questions yeah. about these subjects that have often been taboo in our, especially in our culture. Um, to talk about the personal stuff is is exciting, and hopefully, hopefully, like you yeah. said, we can help people, you know, have their journey hopefully be less painful than ours. Yeah. And uh, and you're welcome. And I thank you, you know, just being part of my journey. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's not lost on me that yes. you're still recovering. Yeah, it was October. <laughs> you know, like, October was your surgery? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's not, a you know, that's not a year or two out, you know, you're still going through it, too. Um, and I appreciate you sharing. So thank you as well um and i hope that um well thank you so your my story hope is touches that you someone will and i know not it overdo will, it packing you know? for your move and that you will promise me you'll get some rest and take care of yourself um, <laughs> and eat good food as you recover <laughs> i do bring in some tasty vittles and, um, <laughs> i know right like that's a must <laughs> Absolutely. And once we're all vaccinated, I'm I need you guys to swing about. over to the and West Coast. I am excited and to keep I will in show touch you with a you. Good and I'm a time. few months ahead of you on like, this journey. So as I have thing. my my <laughs> as things come up for me, I'll be sure to yeah. warn you so that you know what to expect. So let's uh Oh please. Thank, thank you. you so much. Um I hope you have the yeah, best keep day. Keep in touch and take good care um, and good luck with your move and, and your recovery. You Thank you so much, Kelly. <laughs> All right. Bye. Thank you.